Super Talk Mississippi media production. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is Jamie Creel with Shelter Insurance. Come see how we've built a name that you can trust and why it is a must to get your free quote today with our Switch and Save. Located in Ridgeland and Florida, Mississippi, give us a call, 601-992-6000. Howdy, howdy. It's Rhino here, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone and welcome to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. I'm your host Gerard Gibbard along with Rhino in the Element Well Studio guiding you through the middle of your day with facts, fodder and fine music on this hump day. The first day of November, the day after Halloween and I must also point out and give a shout out to my lovely daughter. It is her birthday today. Born on November 1st. It's a busy week for me, Rhino, because it's the wife's birthday on Sunday. Wow. <laughs> so, shout out to Alex Boo Gibbert. That's the nickname that I gave her, like, right after she was born. I don't know how. It just popped into my head. And that is stuck. Alex Boo Gibbert. That's kind of appropriate for the uh, day after Halloween. Dia de los muertos. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so... You know, we had some folks here at Super Talk all dressed up yesterday for the Halloween festivities from across our, our our footprint in the state of Mississippi. But the winner goes to Brian Haydad. <laughs> His costume. Oh, gosh. He said he was going as Richard Cross, and he sent us. Uh, we were sharing photos of the costume throughout uh, the staff here, and he sent one that showed a photo of his chair in the studio there, <laughs> or where he records the show. It was empty. He said he was going as Richard Cross. Shout out to old Brian Haydad for that bit of humor. Did you have uh, trick-or-treaters, or did you just do what you said last night? Hold yourself up, turn the lights off. I waited until about 9.30 before I was like, well, I guess this candy is mine. <laughs> well, it just depends on your neighborhood, I guess, does it not? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, on the program today, Representative Lee Yancey will come in the Element Well studio here in the next segment and share his thoughts on the upcoming election, and then... Another member of the Mississippi State Legislature, that would be Senator Josh Harkins at 11.05. Two Rankin County gentlemen going to join us today and share their thoughts on Election Day. We are officially inside a week to Election Day. Thank goodness. (laughs) That comes up next Tuesday. And once again, you can vote absentee if you're unable to get to the polls on Tuesday in person by 12 o'clock noon on Saturday, correct? At the clerk's office. At the, that's right. At your uh, circuit clerk's office in your county 
Or you can uh, you can vote by mail if you've requested a ballot. There's a procedure to do so. You can find that on the Secretary of State's website. has to be postmarked by the end of day on Election Day, November 7th, for your ballot to be counted and tallied. You can also go to, what's it called, My, My Election Day, I believe, is the link on the Secretary of State's website. If you've got any questions about what your ballot will look like, also where you are uh, to find your precinct as well, based on your address. Is that right? My yeah, own. it's right there on the, the front page of the Secretary of State's website, which is sos.ms.gov. You've got your campaign finance search, your tackle the tape, and then right there on the right, big button, My Election Day. Well, okay, so I'm going to have to take a little credit for that one. I, t- I shared with uh, Secretary of State Watson. You remember the first time we looked for it, it was three or four clicks deep. And I suggested, man, let's just put a button on the splash page there so it's just visible and easy and accessible, and one click, you're right into it. So thank you, Secretary of State, for making that change. And uh, so it's easy, right there on the splash page, right? Just click a button, and you drill down, and you supply your address. It's got to look it up, verified, I believe. It says, here's your ballot, and here's where you vote. Isn't that right? That's That's right. Yeah, so cool. Um, on the C Spire text line, happy birthday to Alex and Mrs. Gibbert. Appreciate that on the C Spire text line. When a candidate approves an ad, doesn't that make them liable for libel in that ad, says Ricky in Aberdeen. Well, I don't know about whether or not they're liable for the libel, but I can, um, I can share that with respect to libel and slander, when you're a public figure like that. It's a pretty high bar. Yeah, it's virtually impossible for the courts to be sympathetic to you. Uh, when you're, uh, And, of course, uh, an elected official or a candidate for office clearly is a public figure when you're running for public office. And there are lots of other folks who would meet the standard of being a public figure, but Rhino's right, the legal standard is quite high uh, to, uh, to go to a court and say, hey, they, they didn't tell the truth about me. Yeah, good luck on that one. In a, in a political setting, in a political context, for sure. Now, I did receive, I want to share this, some uh, communication from the Presley camp yesterday. I opened the mail and got that, and it was from the Center for Voter Information. And they say they provide important election information to voters like you across the country. This year, we asked voters in Mississippi what they would like to know about candidates for governor. Democrat Brandon Presley and Republican Tate Reeves ahead of the upcoming general election. And don't forget, they're going to be debating tonight at 7 p.m. for an hour. Do the candidates oppose fully funding Mississippi schools to help local school districts? Brandon Presley, no. Tate Reeves, yes. Creating new jobs. Now, that's an extremely subjective issue. Do the candidates support using available funds to create tens of thousands of jobs in industries, including health care, construction, and retail? Brandon Presley, yes. Tate Reeves, no. That's misleading at best. Misleading at best. 
sure, you could just drop money all over the place and say, hey, come to work, here's some money from the government. Is that what they're talking about here? No. Is the government's job just to spend a bunch of money with the result being we're creating jobs? Sadly, about half the population thinks yes. That is absolutely right, and that's sad. It's even more pronounced at the federal level. That's that's a, a kind of a talking point you hear quite a bit. But I can tell you, you know what this is about, don't you? Medicaid expansion. That specifically refers to Medicaid expansion. Well, if we spend this money, and that's disingenuous because the money you're spending is federal money, significantly more than the state money, to the tune of 90% would be funded of Medicaid expansion is funded by the federal government. So what they're trying to say is if we pulled down all this federal money and the state chipped in its portion, we create all these jobs. In healthcare, that's what they're saying. Now, that's an extremely subjective. It's an awfully assertion. rosy outlook. Yeah, uh, at a minimum, keeping rural hospitals open. This is another issue. Do the candidates support utilizing available funds to help keep rural hospitals open in the state? Brandon Presley, yes. State Reeves, no. So, again, anytime you put these sort of questions out there. Uh, to voters without proper explanation and context, you don't really know what kind of answers you're going to get. Or at a minimum, you, it's hard to tell just how genuine those answers are with respect to being a reflection of the sentiment of the voters. Uh, supporting Mississippi values. That's a other one. What does that mean? It, it, do the candidates support displaying the words in God we trust on Mississippi license plates? Brandon Presley, yes. Tate Reeves, no. Huh? What did I miss there? What was he talking about? I thought we had that, or it was available. What am I missing? I'm not sure. More last-minute desperation from the Presley camp. Okay. I mean, this is the same kind of ilk that you get from the the pollsters that ran the Democrat governor's poll, which is the latest one that has Presley closing the gap. They didn't even feel confident enough to fudge the numbers and say, oh, he's out in front. (laughs) The the camp's also touting yesterday their money haul. Today, the Brandon Presley for Governor campaign is announcing $3.4 million raised this period, continuing the campaign's fundraising momentum in the home stretch. Where's that money coming from? Is it, isn't that what they say all the time about the governor? Look at the money he got from all these donors, and, and these donors are people in Mississippi who have benefited from their donation. Well, what about these people that are plowing all this money into the Presley campaign? What did they expect in return, especially these far-left governors in the state, in the states across the country that have contributed mightily to the campaign? Well, it's time for a break here in the Element Well studio. When we return, it's Representative Lee Yancey. Please stay with us. Gerard Gibbert. He keeps his classified documents right where they belong. Inside a journey record jacket from the 1980s. Gerard Gibbert, Super Talk, Mississippi. 
bumping us into this segment here. We appreciate that. Rhino, we welcome to the program now. Lee Yancey, he's a member of the Mississippi House of Representatives District 74. That's his. That includes Rankin County. Serves as the chair of the House Drug Policy Committee. Oh, yeah, we got him all plugged in <laughs> so he can hear. Representative Lee Yancey is joining us in the Element Well studio. Appreciate you coming on there, uh, Mr. Representative. Good morning, Gerard. It's wonderful to be here. Well, as you know, we've been talking about it. Uh, we got these general elections in the state of Mississippi coming up next week. We're inside. Thank goodness. <laughs> next Tuesday. Let's first talk about your race. What's up with that? Well, I'm unopposed this year for the first time in my life. I'm unopposed. <laughs> I've had really tough races in the past, and uh, apparently they think I'm doing a, a good job or else no one wants the job, <laughs> one of the two. And uh, I'm appreciative of the voters of District 74, and it's an honor to represent them in the Mississippi House of Representatives. So uh should not be a big deal for you next. It's kind of anticlimactic. You're just ready to kind of get it over. Well, you problem. can always lose in a write-in. Uh you know, yeah, that's true. Uh, so there's that. Unlikely. Don't think that's going to happen. Um, and, you know, along those lines with respect to the state legislature, there are a number of races this year that are uncontested in the general that's election. That's correct. So uh, folks don't have uh, a lot of choice in certain situations, in districts. Well, you know, more than ever, uh, incumbents are not being opposed. I think maybe there was a third of the House representatives that was, was unopposed. And uh, apparently, um, like I said before, uh, you know, we do our best to represent our constituents and uh, put forward the policies that, that they sent us there to get accomplished. And yeah. so uh, hopefully we're doing that. Yeah. Well, it's. It, I just find that a little interesting. You may be right. Maybe a lot of folks just don't want the job. It's, and, and you know that it, it doesn't get talked about a lot, but it um, it does require lots of time, lots of effort, for fairly low amount of pay, honestly. But you know that when you sign up for it. All of that, you know that, and you know there are some who um, don't have much other job other than being in the legislature and and some that have uh, big jobs in the legislature and you just have to to uh, prioritize your time and and have a plan to get everything you need to be, get accomplished done yeah all right so let's talk about the uh, the top of the ticket the governor's race which I think has been uh, sort of the highest profile of all the races for sure, because the honestly the other races, the statewide races, not not too terribly contentious, not certainly not to the scope and level that the governor's race is with an incumbent governor Republican Tate Reeves facing a stiff challenge from Public Service Commissioner Democratic candidate for governor Brandon Presley. You we've seen maybe as much. Um, mudslinging as I can remember in the state of Mississippi. It hadn't been quite that way in a while. We're no stranger to it, of course, but I don't know that I've seen it ratcheted up uh, at this level, and it's across all the various forms of media. I don't think anybody in the state has not caught some ad from one or the other candidate. What, what do you think about that? Well, I think that you're seeing an all-out barrage against uh, Tate Reeves uh, from the left. Uh, It is a sign that he's doing something right uh, if you're a Republican. It's a sign that we're seeing uh, taxes cut. It's a sign that we're seeing many of their education goals achieved from the Republican side, and and they can't stomach that. And it's also a sign that um, 
that he's done a good job. You know, with the Roe versus Wade being overturned is untenable to the Democrat left, and uh, they are pouring money in from all over the country uh, to try and and make a statement and and try to try to get back at uh, what we've been able to accomplish. Yeah, and that's a good point. And the governor, I think, rightfully has been, of course, touting. Uh, the accomplishments uh, since he's been governor, and that starts with uh, education. Honestly, monumental achievements there. I mean, the highest teacher pay raise in in Mississippi history at the time. Uh, we were uh, ahead of the national average, um, and uh, we're going to continue to to put uh, money into our teachers uh, to invest in them and have continued education gains. Uh, the, yeah. the Mississippi miracle has been talked about uh, all over the country. Our our third to fourth grade reading scores, you know, we've gone from almost last in the country all the way to 21st. So uh, there's no question that the policies that Republicans have put in place are moving the needle and children of all races are getting ahead. Yeah, I totally agree. And, and uh, again, the governor has been right in pointing that out. We had uh, rather significant uh, tax cuts passed. The governor, of course, was uh, a proponent and still is a, a staunch advocate for full elimination of the income tax. We didn't quite get there, but what we got was a significant uh, improvement from the standpoint of allowing people to keep more of their money. So the governor has, has made that point. He's also seen significant uh, capital investment in new economic projects and expansion in the state of Mississippi as well since he's been governor. This is something... You know uh, him as well as I do. This is a, a big thing to him. He, he understands how critical this is to our state. Absolutely. Job creation is, is going great. We're continuing to attract uh, industry to our state. Uh, we are seeing low unemployment. Um, so uh, from an economic perspective, even in these hard economic times across the country and across the world, you see Mississippi still moving forward, creating jobs, uh, now there are you know more jobs looking for people than there are people looking for jobs. Yeah, yeah, it's a good thing. And so he 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 thus has uh, spent a fair amount of time working on just workforce development, just trying to get the workforce prepared for those jobs and and allow them to gain the skills necessary to work the jobs that the employers in our state say they need people for. And he's. He's uh, put a lot of emphasis out on that since he's been a governor and also in his campaign. So Brandon Presley has desperately tried to connect the governor uh, to the welfare uh, scandal with the TANF funds, federal TANF funds, desperately. But nothing seems to stick that I can tell. Is this a winning strategy? I don't think it is, and I hope and pray that it's not, because as lieutenant governor, you have nothing to do with federal funding, and, uh, you know, it is a, it's just out of left field to try and tie him to that, and um, I don't think it's going to work. Now, number one, I think Republicans know that Tate Reeves is doing a good job. He's been faced with uh, more disasters in his term than any other governor in history. I think before 2020, the most natural disasters that a governor ever had to deal with in one year was four, and he had 14. So, uh, you know, he I think he's done a great job. I don't think there's anyone who could have done a better job than than he's done. Yeah, and then later on to that, the Jackson Water situation as well. Oh, absolutely. COVID, yeah. all the tornadoes, hurricanes, yeah. Yeah. Uh, on and on. So um, 
Brandon Presley's also really emphasized the health care situation in the state of Mississippi with many hospitals struggling from an economic perspective. And he, he's making the case that simply expanding Medicaid would cure that problem and that he supports that. Uh, the governor does not. Of course, uh, he says he's going to do that day one. I've uh, made the point countless times here on the program. He doesn't have the power or the authority to do so. That requires appropriation of funds. That has to flow through and be approved by the legislature. He says that privately there's sufficient support in the legislature to enact uh, and get a bill to his desk, if he were governor, to expand uh, Medicaid. And he's a bit disingenuous in that, I think, and won't really give us any details on that. Well, that's been kind of a a one-note song for the Democrats on Medicaid expansion. And, you know, every hospital administrator I've talked to has said that, of course, the money would help, but it would not prevent hospitals that were closing from closing. Right. And, you know, we have a a paradigm of an old hospital system designed for people to go in and stay uh, long-term for inpatient care. And you've got a population shift uh, out of the Delta and out of rural areas to the suburbs, if you will. And, you know, people don't, people are looking more for outpatient type care rather than inpatient. And uh, the, the hospitals in those places where they've lost population are just struggling because, you know, they don't they don't have the patients they used to have. They don't have the patients stay the length of time they used to stay. And so uh, we really need to get rid of the CON law so that we can have more competition in health care. Yep. That's one of the things that I'm going to continue to push. Yep. Well, if you can hang around, we can discuss that further in the next segment. Absolutely. All right. We got Representative Lee Yancey in the Element Well studio. Stay with us. We are coming right back. Podcasts, the stories that matter most to Mississippians. Gerard Gibbert, Middays with Gerard, Super Talk Mississippi. Element Well Studio. It's Lee Yancey, Representative Lee Yancey from uh, District 74. It's nearby Rankin County. Once again, happy birthday to Alex Boo Gibbert. It is her birthday today. You know, she works down there at the Secretary of State's office. So I hope they're taking care of them. I might have to call Watson and say, make sure you know it's my daughter's birthday. Happy birthday, Boo. <laughs> there you go. Uh, all right. Courtney's favorite politician. Michael Watson? Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh man, <laughs> my Courtney and her Courtney. <laughs> Got you. <laughs> so, uh, did you want to give a shout out to some of your colleagues in Rankin County? Well, I don't know if they deserve it, but um, <laughs> hello to the Rankin County delegation. That would be. I mean, should I try to list them all? Yeah, or? sure. One of them coming in, Josh Harkins. Okay, well, hi, from Josh. From the Senate. Yeah. Josh and Dean, uh, Fred, Gene, Brent, Price. Uh, we got some new ones coming in. I'm going to let them get sworn in before I give them shout-outs. <laughs> but uh hope you guys are doing great. Yeah. One of them uh, we're trying to get in there is Celeste Hurst, wife of uh, Mike Hurst. And she, she represents part of uh, Rankin County. absolutely right? does. And Madison. She does. Yeah, Lance, Lance Varner is, is, That's right. is taking Tom Weathersby's place. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we've got a new senator out there, Brian Rhodes, yeah. out in uh, Pilahatchee. Got some freshmen, so, as they say, coming some, in. Yes, we do. All right. Well, that good ought people. to be fun. Yeah, ought to be good. So we were talking about this uh, high-profile governor's race. Uh, something we should point out is that late yesterday, former President Donald Trump, Donald J. Trump, issued an endorsement recorded a little video in support of Governor Tate Reeves, said that uh, Brandon Presley is Joe Biden's candidate. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> uh, do you think that will uh, aid the governor as he steps into the last week of campaigning here? I certainly do think it helps, you know, particularly with the, the right wing of the party, uh, those who were um, concerned about, uh, you know, what was going on with the race between Delbert Hoseman and Chris McDaniel, um, I think. I think having uh, former President Trump's support is big, and I yeah. think it's a big endorsement. Yeah, I, I do too. And uh, of course, typically where you see uh, endorsements work uh, from a high-profile political figure would be in a primary, uh, as opposed to a general. You would certainly expect that a Republican former president would re- would uh, support and endorse the Republican candidate in a general election when you have general elections like we do in Mississippi where the parties have primaries and then one advances to the general. But nonetheless, I think we have a situation where there's some Republicans that have expressed concern about uh, voting for Governor Reeves, and um, they have various grievances there, but they're likely also Donald Trump supporters, and uh, maybe this pushes them to to do uh, to cast their vote for the governor. Well, we live in strange times, and we need all Republicans to support Republicans. You know, it matters who the governor is, and I don't know if people remember, but governors have the job of appointing uh, our judges when there are vacancies. They have the, the job of appointing United States senators. If you'll remember, Haley Barber appointed Roger Wicker. Right. Uh, if there were an opening for the next governor. I would imagine that Tate Reeves would appoint a conservative Republican, and I would imagine that Brandon Presley would appoint a Democrat. And so uh, whether it's chancery judges or circuit judges, if you look, our former Governor Bryant appointed Shad White to be auditor and Andy Gibson to be ag commissioner and Cindy Hyde-Smith to be United States senator. Um, Who the governor is matters. And if you are a Republican, we need you to go out next Tuesday and vote Republican. Yeah, it's a good point. And the same could be said, of course, at the federal level. Can you imagine the makeup of the Supreme Court, given uh, what we've seen Joe Biden appoint, had Donald Trump not prevailed in 2016? Uh, the Dobbs case, for example, no way that uh, that ruling comes down the way it did. Affirmative action, another one. Student loans, 
That's big, right. Big stuff. Who the president is matters, as we are seeing, and who the governor is matters. And we need we need all of our Republican voters to come out. We need a big turnout. We need everyone to go go and vote. Yeah, it's a big deal, no doubt. So uh, something else, uh, Representative Yancey, that, that I have uh, have spoken to other members of the legislature about, something you're familiar with, and I know the members are as well, is this PERS thing, which is hanging out there. And, of course, Executive Director Higgins of the Public Employees Retirement System has been meeting with members of the legislature, uh, mainly those that are involved in, in finance and uh, appropriations, uh, Briggs Hobson in the Senate, Trey Lamar, et cetera, Jason, uh, the likely next Speaker of the House. And bottom line is they need more money or they got to cut benefits. And cutting benefits is not very popular with the people. So uh, more money it means the taxpayers in general are on the hook uh, to help uh, stabilize the purse fund. This is going to be something you guys are going to take up, I feel certain, in the next term. Yes, we've got to do something. And, you know, my mother is a retired school teacher, so I want everyone to know I have skin in the game and I'm looking out for my mama. But uh, the PERS system is uh, in trouble. And I think everyone involved in PERS, if they're being honest, would would admit that having a $20 billion unfunded liability, only being 61% funded, is not good. And so uh, what Mr. Higgins has has told uh, us in the legislature is that it would take $9 billion to make it whole right now. $9 billion. Right. He's asked for that is either a one-time sum, or which is unlikely, or $360 million a year for 25 years right. to, to make it whole. Essentially, that's money that otherwise the state would um, appropriate to the general fund or use to cut taxes. That's exactly right, and you know it is um, it is a tough issue. He's asked for a two percent increase on the employer portion from seventeen point four to nineteen point four to take effect next July, and then adding another percent, another two percent every year after that until it gets to about twenty seven point nine. That would be an additional ten percent, and that is to achieve uh, the contribution rate that the actuaries say is necessary to stabilize the fund. That's right. Uh, have, have you done the math on how much that would cost the taxpayers? I have. Go ahead and tell us. $700 million a year. $700 million a year. And so uh, we're going to have to plant more money trees down there on the <laughs> Capitol lawn uh, to pay for uh, all the money that they need. And um, so we've got to come up with some real solutions and try and figure this out. We're going to um, We're going to pay – the people what we've promised them that we're going to pay them but we've got to figure out how to um, put a period at the end of this sentence yeah and i think maybe another tier is going to have to be added uh for for new hires at some point and we're just going to have to bite the bullet and and pay the money for for those who are in the system now there are things we can do to relieve the pressure uh you know and not trying to scare everyone across the state but uh, a compounded cola in uh, a one-time lump sum for everyone in the program, over 300,000 people, uh, puts a lot of pressure on the system. And if you could get the same amount of money but get it monthly instead of annually, that would help spread that out over 12 months instead of it all just coming out at one time. And that would relieve uh, a lot of the, the downward uh, movement as far as the unfunded liability and 
and and the cost becoming greater and greater. It's a it's a cash flow uh, challenge. We just have we have more is. people retiring than we do working, and so it's it's very difficult. And uh, we have to find real solutions. And again, we're going to pay people what they owe. I want people to hear us say that state employees to hear us say that we're not taking your money away. Uh, but we've got to find a way to to fix this problem. And want to be clear as well. I um, I know I, I've shared with the audience that uh, I, I'm writing an article. By the way, I know Ben from Madison has been um, anxious to see that. I did complete it, and I have forwarded it to our news director J T Mitchell, who is uh, going to review it today and and um, put his editorial approval on it before it gets published. But I do make the point we should make that as well here today as well today, Lee, that nobody's in imminent risk of not receiving their retirement benefits. The, the program is does not have a short-term problem. It has a long-term problem. But if you wait to address that long-term problem, it gets more expensive. And that's why Executive Director Higgins is working with the legislature, and I believe the legislature is going to take this up in earnest in the next term uh, to just address the issue. It ain't going to fix itself. Action's going to have to be taken. There are a number of things that can be done. But we don't want anybody thinking that PERS is at risk of not sending you your check if you're retired. That is absolutely 100% false. That is not the case. That's the assets are there. Money is flowing. But on a long-term basis, and in fact, they project out uh, to year 2047 is kind of what they're looking at. Mm-hmm. That's when it starts to become a serious problem. Um, and so we don't want anybody thinking that. That's right. Yep. Appreciate you coming in, as always, and sharing your thoughts. And once again, we want folks to get out and vote. It's important. Great to be here with you. I hope everyone will go vote on November 7th. Appreciate it. Representative Lee Yancey, he's uh, from District 74. That's Rankin County. We're coming right back, folks, in the Element Well Studio. Days with Gerard. Good for America. Good for fans of justice and truth. Good for us. Super Talk Mississippi. This is what we stand for. Welcome back, everyone. It's Middays in the Element Well Studio at 11.05. It's Senator Josh Harkins. He'll be in the Element Well Studio to share his thoughts on the upcoming election. On the ceasefire text line, Paul in Greenville asks, could the lottery help PERS at all? Just curious. Well, well Paul, yeah, let's, let's first talk about how lottery proceeds are distributed in accordance with the Alice G. Clark Lottery Act, passed in special session in August 2018. That was called by Governor Phil Bryant. So the first $80 million of the net proceeds, that's essentially the net profit. Once the lottery takes in revenue from ticket sales, uh, all the prizes are redeemed, pays expenses to operate the lottery, whatever's left over, that's called net proceeds. Um, it's similar to net profit in a, in a typical private sector business. The first $80 million in a fiscal year allocated to the state highway fund, transferred to the state treasurer, who then um, 
funds warrants requested. That's that's the way agencies request money from the Treasury through what are called warrants, and that those are checked out by the Treasury to make sure that's consistent with law um, in appropriation from the legislature. And so the first eighty million roads and bridges. The excess over eighty million goes to the Education Enhancement Fund, the EEF. That's a law passed several years ago that the legislature uh, funds into this Education Enhancement Fund, allocates, appropriates money from the general fund, from just general revenues, into the Education Enhancement Fund, and then the law itself specifies how that money gets allocated throughout K-12 community college and higher ed institutions. And um, most of it's used for school supplies, early learning collaborative, uh, fixed asset type purchases such as buildings and and stadiums and the like, that sort of infrastructure. But that's the excess. Now the lottery generates, on average, the, since it's been operating, 125 million dollars a year of net proceeds. So you can do the math there. The first 80 million, in accordance with the law, to the state highway fund. The excess, some 45, 40 to 45 million a year to the education enhancement fund. So to answer your question, Paul, I just wanted to give you that kind of as a, as a basis for understanding how it works today. To answer your question, absolutely, the legislature could amend that law anytime they want to, to um, stipulate that the monies produced by the lottery, the net proceeds, would be allocated however they deem, as long as they can get through the legislature and signed by the governor. They could say, yeah, we want to send money to PERS. Here's the only thing I would I would um, say about that, it, it, using lottery funds for PERS, is that PERS' problem is orders of magnitude larger than what the lottery generates. So I don't want anybody saying, like we've heard for so long, Rhino, oh, we were promised that if we just enacted and legalized casino gaming in the state, that'd fix all our education problems. I don't remember anybody speaking. Specific, specifically, explicitly saying that, sure, any any additional money that goes to the general fund, you could argue that helps education because half of the general fund goes to education. But I don't know what it means by solve all the problems. I mean, if you know what I'm saying there, it's a the education cost is roughly two and a half billion dollars a year. The money that the state receives from casino gaming taxes is. $150 million a year. I mean, it's a, a fraction of it. Well, the same is true here. Sure, they could peel off some lottery proceeds and say, go help PERS. But as you heard Representative Yancey say, the, the need is considerable. And what PERS has asked for is we need three. I've, I've said this yesterday. I, I thought it was over a period of time. I didn't know how many years, but apparently it's, what do you say, 25. I knew it was a long time, $350 million a year, just cut a check to PERS to fix its finances. I think that's in addition to raising the contribution rate on employers. So it's an expensive problem. That's the point. It's got to be addressed. Representative Yancey correctly points out the state does have an obligation to those in the system. One of the the options that's been discussed is creating a new tier, which just means that everybody that enters into employment with a public sector entity that participates in PERS, such as a state agency, municipality, um, county, uh, school district, etc., those that enter after a certain date would be subject to a new set of rules that dictates their contribution, their benefits, their vesting, 
<clears throat> how many years to vest, uh, just all the all the features of the plan itself would be specified and we would be applicable to them under this new tier. That certainly would help, but again, it's not, uh, as you like to say, it's not the panacea. It won't singularly solve the problem. It's a much, much, much bigger problem than just that. Uh, and then the other thing to cons- consider is, are you going to have to pay people more to come to work for these public sector entities if you're going to reduce their PERS benefit? Because that, generally speaking, is a differentiator. It's a, it's a draw to work in the public sector relative to the private sector where you don't find these lifetime benefit defined uh, benefit pension programs. We're stepping aside for a break. We're coming back with Senator Josh Harkin. Stay with us. Welcome to the show that challenges you to think deeply deeply. and look beyond political posturing. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone. It is middays. We are live in the Element Well studio on this hump day. Also my daughter's birthday. Another shout out. <laughs> we are pleased to welcome to the Element Well studio Senator Josh Harkins. He represents District 20. That, of course, covers Rankin County. Serves as the chairperson of the Senate Finance Committee. That's the folks that have to figure out where we're going to get all the money to run the government. <laughs> <laughs> what a job we that is. bring it in, they spend it. <laughs> That's right. Okay, so we are inside a week until yeah. the general election. Uh, what's your race looking like? What do you got? Um, I'm, I'm unopposed. Okay. Um, fortunately. You and Yancey both. Yeah, I, you know, fortunately, uh, you know, I, I heard Representative Yancey's answer. Uh, I hope I'm doing a good job or else nobody wanted the job. And I often joke my wife was looking for somebody to endorse and, uh, nobody, nobody stepped up. So now it's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm honored. Um, I, I feel like, you know, it, it's a reflection of what we're doing, uh, in our districts. I think, you know, your district, uh, your district, your people know what's going on, and and if they approve of the job you're doing, they'll send you back, and if they don't, they'll bring you home. Yeah, um, it's, um, you know, I I feel honored to serve a great district, and I've got a lot of great people, great businesses, uh, uh, in my district, and I, I enjoy uh, looking out for them and and trying to to promote, uh, you know, the the things that we're we're working on and we have been working on uh, ever since I got in the legislature, uh, improving our economy, being a a great place to work, live, and, and raise a family. Yeah, absolutely. So the high-profile race, of course, is the one at the top, top of, of the, the ticket. ticket. Yeah, yeah. Um, the governor's race between incumbent Republican Governor Tate Reeves and Democratic challenger Brandon Presley. By the way, I just got – I'm on the Presley uh, news list here, the email communications list, and literally just got new communication, Brandon Presley to visit small business in Jackson – uh, today, 
at 5 p.m. Location available upon request. Wonder what that means. That's a, that's a little that's, odd, isn't it? Looking for a date. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I, I think they're just uh, you know apparently trying to go out and find some businesses to visit with, and um, you know. The, the whole race, you know, the governor's race. I think it, it, you know, it boils down to people and and consultants and you know the advertising and the the media, the news, everything together. I, you know, I think people, given what's gone on over the last three or four years, uh, people have grown suspect of where they get their news from, where they get their information from. And I, I just, I typically like to go back to the old smell test. I mean, look around. Yeah. Look at our state. Look at our economy. Look at, you know, uh, I, I think if you take a, a deep dive and look around our education performance, our unemployment rate, our uh, the fiscal condition of our state, what we've invested in, what we've done, um, cut taxes, we've touched a lot of areas across our state that I think our constituents are looking at and are, and are concerned about. And I think we've done a good job. Yeah. I mean – at some point, you got to find. I mean, you know, look, I, I get in a in a political race, you got to find something that separates you from your your opponent. And you know, if, if and where there's no evidence of anything to find, make up something or, or do whatever you got to do is what I, I think is going on. But I mean, just look around and and let's you know, don't take anybody's word for it. What what is your life looking like? How is your uh, job prospects? How are, how is your employment? Are you have you uh, made any upward mobility in in your career? Uh, is your business doing better today? Are you taking home more pay? Um, obviously, with inflation, that hurts. Uh, that's a, a, a bigger issue than what's here in Mississippi. But I, I think it's it's indicative of what we have done collectively over the last four years, eight years, twelve years. Uh, you know, it's not something I, I would say. Let's just look at one one issue. Let's look over over the time. And I think uh, the governor has done a good job. Um, over the years i mean you know what you're getting with him it's not you know there's not a surprise uh uh he is who he is every every person has a, a leadership style and uh dating back to you know kirk fordice and and other governors that have been around and and the way they've uh governed but um you know governor reeves has has, has told you what he believes in he's told you what he's going to do and he's worked his best of his ability to do it yeah and um I think as a whole, we've we put Mississippi in a, in a great spot. We were better off today than we were four years ago. And look, over the last four years, I don't know if you could come up <laughs> with more of an apocalypse situation <laughs> from uh, being inaugurated in the middle of a flood to tornadoes to hurricanes to COVID uh, to all these things. And, uh, you know, there may be a playbook for tornadoes and hurricanes, and, and hurricanes are still subjective because it's, you know, uh, you don't know how serious it's going to be, but you know, COVID. There was no playbook for COVID, yeah. And and I think he uh, should get high marks for how he handled it and and how he pulled uh, pulled the state through. And and collectively, we all uh, worked together to make the best out of what was a, a really bad situation. And I think we we've, we've come out on the other side in in a great position, comparatively speaking to other states. I think it's a good point that it's worth making. Is that you know when you when he ran for governor in nineteen, he he didn't anticipate that all that was gonna gonna come about. <laughs> I mean, during literally in January is when I mean December and January is when the flood started, and uh, yep. I mean it was. Uh, I mean we had the. Uh, the representative from Washington down here looking at the levees, and literally they drove down and had to turn around because of floodwaters. Uh, 
in in northeast jackson so it i mean it happened right at the time of of his inauguration and it didn't seem to let up yeah but he he handled it I think uh, with uh, with ease, honestly. I mean, it, they're difficult situations, but it was uh, timely. It was proficient in, in his responses were, and and I think appropriate responses. You know, given all the information that was being provided to him, so you, I think you could he was transparent, provided it to the uh, to the public with. Uh, you know, daily, weekly, and daily uh, media addresses and, and public uh, conferences. So, uh, look, I think he did a, I think he did a good job with a really bad situation that there wasn't really a, a playbook uh, out there. Yeah, I I totally agree. So, and I don't know that I've seen a lot of uh, of, of Presley's uh, campaign rhetoric really be too critical of him on that mm-hmm. basis. He's he's uh, I guess talked more about. Uh, Medicaid expansion and his intent, should he be elected governor, to uh, replace the uh, Division of Medicaid Executive Director Drew Snyder with someone who is a, uh, a, a physician. Now, I don't know why that's – personally, I don't understand why that's even relevant or important or necessary as a qualification to run that agency, which is m- more about – um, executing in accordance with law and lots of complex laws, yeah. as you well know, uh, the Medicaid program itself. Uh, it requires someone with some some business, honestly, and some legal and organizational skills. Doesn't it's you're a, not involved in clinical matters? No, it's it's a. I mean, what is it? Billions and billions of dollars. Seven billion, yeah, I think, now combined, now. Fed and state. So it, it's a major operation, and uh, I think Drew Snyder's done a good job. Uh, uh, with with how he's handled uh, Medicaid and and we'll keep on keep on working. And then the other thing he's proposed has Brandon Presley is to appoint someone uh, from law enforcement to serve as the uh, the commissioner of the Department of Public Safety. He's been critical of Tate in appointing uh, a prosecutor. Sean. Yeah, exactly. A prosecutor, a prosecutor yeah. which is what Sean is. Yeah, right. Sean was a prosecutor. Right. Uh, he's been in law enforcement. Right. Uh, I, I think Sean brought. A lot to the table when he came to uh, Department of Public Safety. He's been on the side of, of you know the legislative side of things, looking at DPS and looking at other agencies. And he's been a prosecutor. Uh, he's been a judge. He's worked from various angles. And I think he's you know he brought a a different perspective than the normal uh, you know make somebody that's already in there yeah. ahead of it. And I think it was a, a a breath of fresh air that maybe was needed for a period, and, and Sean's done a great job. Done a great he's, job. He's handled the crime lab. He's gotten that under control um, with the the medical examiners. We've worked with him uh, to do that. Uh, he's advocated for the troopers uh, very well. Uh, Capitol Police has turned around. I, mean, I, I get people in the metro area that uh, dealing with the Capitol Police have given him high marks for that. And uh, Chief Lucky, so I think Sean has done a, a, a great job at Department of Public Safety. No doubt about it. And I've, I've heard the same, and I've heard the same from state troopers and those yeah. that work in the Department of Public Safety. And and even when I went and reviewed, uh, renewed my driver's license, you know, the folks there didn't take well. long, did it? No, he got that under control, which was a was a, was a serious uh, conundrum. Yeah, and was the the uh, an issue that a lot of folks complained about. So that Absolutely. been resolved. And so um, it's it's no disrespect to a physician in, on the Medicaid side or someone in law enforcement, of course, but I think it's I think it's a bit disingenuous to state that you must have that on your resume to be an effective uh, 
leader in those roles. Well, I'm glad the current one is a, a law enforcement, uh, has a law enforcement Well, background. yeah, I mean, uh, it doesn't carry a badge yeah. is what Mr. Presley said, of course. We got Senator Josh Harkins. We got more to talk about if you can hang around. Sure. He's in the Element Well studio. We're coming right back. Talk that keeps Mississippi talking. We're rolling. Hit it. Go. Play it. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. Video it was there, wasn't it? Rhino Sledgehammer by Peter Gabriel. Man, that's some old school. Yeah, man. That's like nothing today with current technology. It was a pretty big deal back then, wasn't it? Yeah. We got Senator uh, Josh Harkins in the Element Well studio. We're just talking about the elections uh, coming up next week. So you, you made a point that I think is worth making that um, no matter who a candidate is, uh, even if one declares themselves historically, has, has voted uh, for a certain party. They align themselves with a certain party. You know, you run into situations with candidates that, for whatever reason, just don't necessarily excite you. And, and you, you maybe have thoughts about, I think I'm going to vote against that person. But in doing so, you may get some sense of satisfaction for about 30 minutes after you do that. Then reality sets in, yeah. and this alternative is in office. Yeah. And and you see their policies, and you see their style of governing, and you see their worldviews, and then that starts to have a real impact on your life. Yeah. I think, you know, what what I think people need to understand and, and realize is, is that, you know, they're – what option do you have? Do you have a uh, option? You know, forget the personalities, and and I don't like making it about personal issues or personalities. I mean, at the end of the day, it, it, the personality is not what's going to govern. It's is his values and and his uh, beliefs, right? And I think if you like low taxes, if you like uh, you know a, a limited government, if you like somebody that is. Uh, kind of done and accomplished the things that we've accomplished over the last four years, that's what you, you're you going to vote for. Yeah. Um, the alternative is exactly what the alternative is. It's it's not what those principles and beliefs that you have that uh, if you're a Republican, a conservative Republican, that's what you believe in. That's what you need to vote for. Yeah. Um, and, and so I, I think I try to, you know, I try to tell people that, you know, look, look at look at what they stand for. Look at what they believe in. Look at what they're going to do on day two, on day one hundred and two, exactly. and on down the road. I mean, that's that's ultimately what we're we're voting for is someone to lead the state and uh, and help make us a, a better place. And and you know, look, I, going down to the Capitol, whether you're from 
you know, from DeSoto or from Hancock County, uh, wherever you are across the state, these the legislators that come into Jackson, uh, you know, they know what they signed up for. They come up here for three to four months a year. And I believe in my heart that we, we have a legislature full of good people that want the best for our state. Yeah. Obviously, some people have a different opinion on how yeah. we get there. But I think a majority of us, and obviously the numbers indicate this, a majority of us believe that the way to do it is by conservative principles. And, and we pass those policies and look at the result. Yeah. I and agree. I think that's, you know, that's the known that you have uh, to choose from yeah. right here. I, I agree. And, there, you know, there's uh, been a lot coming from the Presley campaign about uh, the governor's donors and how they have benefited from their donations by receiving contracts for for public sector uh, services and so forth. Uh, But they don't really have any proof of that. It's just kind of a connecting the dots sort of deal. You know, my feeling is if they're they're winning those contracts through uh, the traditional competitive bid process, I mean, there's nothing that precludes you from donating. A lot of people donate to political Mm -hmm. campaigns. So a lot of people donate to even political candidates that they may necessarily not align with just because they're they're likely to get elected yeah. uh, and they want to be part of that team. But I, I think Brandon's been a, a bit disingenuous about that and misleading in that. But more importantly, yeah. he's accepted millions of dollars from out-of-state interests yeah. and parties. They're going to be expecting something in return, and what they want is to is to turn this state into a, a deep blue liberal wasteland. Yeah. Is what I think. Well, I, I think they they have their bent on how they view the world, and and uh, the, the governor has his view. And I guess what what lines up with uh, with your thoughts and your beliefs and your your values, and uh, vote vote that way. Yeah. I totally agree. Let's since since you're the guy responsible for getting money into the state, being chairman of the finance committee, uh, at least half of it, right? Because you got yeah. your your uh, counterpart in the house. Lamar down there. That's right. Does a good job. How how are we doing? Well, uh, for the year so far, through the end of September, I think we were up eighty five point nine million dollars over the estimate. Okay. Uh, this current month, the end of the month, just ended yesterday, and I think we're about twenty three million under. But that's before you finish out with the DFA closeouts and uh, interest uh, that we get. We're getting on all the cash that yeah. uh, that's sitting there. Uh, before it goes out, we've been fortunate to to reinvest that and, and get a little uh, windfall each month to help. Something. But right now, I think at the end of the day, when when we when we bring all that in and close out the month, I think we'll probably be about ten under, ten to fifteen under. So okay. we'll still be seventy million up over the year for projections. And uh, let, let me remind your listeners that you know there, there's a spread in between what we actually budgeted and what we estimated. Yeah. About six hundred million dollars. Yeah. So es- estimate in terms of revenue. Revenue. Right. And and what we actually budgeted for the year. So right. Uh, we, we're in good shape. Uh, is that uh, as that goes so but i think uh you know some months hit differently than others and you know you'll have a month where you'll be 40 50 million over in the next month it may be you know flat but yeah uh relatively speaking i think we're we're still on a good trajectory yeah and, and that and it's a good point you make that uh we should highlight again is that we estimate a certain level of revenue a certain a certain figure for revenue but we don't spend it all we, no. did, we didn't appropriate to that we didn't level. appropriate 100 yeah. percent of it right um we we uh, kind of conservative in our estimate of what we needed and, and left it there, but uh, that's also why you're seeing the the 
the the holdover of, of a large capital expense fund yeah. next year. We haven't bonded the last two years. Uh, we haven't authorized any new bonds, taken on any new debt in that yep. regard. Uh, paid off about twelve percent of our debt. Um, so uh, we we're being, I think, good fiscal stewards of, of the tax dollars in that regard. But uh, you know, we got to continue. Look, I mean, there there are external factors that are out of our control. That we're having to watch, and we're having to see how it's going to play on the economy. You know, with the interest rates, and how does the market, uh, the cool down on the market? Uh, you look at, at housing and, and some of these other indicators that, uh, you know, I think it's uh, just proceed with caution uh, right now. Yeah, totally agree. And of course, we got this uh, <clears throat> this looming PERS issue mm-hmm. that you and I have talked about quite a bit. I've talked to everybody in the legislature about it. I mean, you you guys are aware, and you know. Um, Director Higgins has has been speaking and visiting with uh, your counterparts yes. quite a bit. Try we, to figure out a solution. I, I meet with him uh, every every year before the session, uh, and, and sometimes two or three times outside. Uh, visit with him on the phone frequently, so uh, we're in constant uh, contact, and and we've discussed, and I've made it known to him my concern about the long term uh, implications and the long term. Um, kind of effects of what's going on with PERS and and look you know th- there's there's different segments within PERS I mean you have the retirees you have the people that are about to retire and you have the new new hires that right. need PERS here in 30 years when they retire for the next 30 40 years that's right um, so there, there's a lot of different uh, perspectives that people are looking at PERS uh, you know and they're supposed to be bringing forward some some recommendations. Uh, to us this year, and, and I look forward to visiting with him to see kind of what uh, their ideas are. And I know we talked about a new tier, possibly. Uh, you know, the cost of, of running PERS over time gets cheaper with these new tiers. They, they're less expensive to to uh, run and to maintain. So, um, you know, it's as I've been told, it's it's a matter of weathering a storm right now. But it's it's a long it's a long yeah, storm. It's, we're talking decades, <laughs> decades. Honestly. Yeah, yeah. So, but uh, I think everybody is aware that it's something that's got to be tied. The governor certainly is. The lieutenant yeah. governor is as well. Um, I think I've heard uh, Speaker Pro Tem White talk about it, and you know, yeah, I've, know. I've heard everybody talk about it. So, yeah, it's something we're going to have to. To work with and your counterpart, uh, Mr. Hobson, he's yes intimately aware. Uh, he, he's the other half of that equation. He <laughs> exactly. and uh, Representative Reed, they 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 send it out. Yeah, so. yeah. So, but you know, virtually every system in the country is in the same boat uh, to to different degrees, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, but they're all facing challenges with respect to this this defined benefit structure is yeah. um, just a difficult one. It's difficult, and you know, I think that's why you see a lot of them kind of trying to move away from that model yeah. to some extent. And so we'll see what uh, what we come up with. But the big thing right now is we got to get out and vote next vote. Tuesday. Vote next Tuesday. Yep. Appreciate you coming in. Thank there. you so Senator much, Josh Harkins. Yep. Folks, we're coming right back in the LMOL studio.
Everybody ready? I'm ready. Ready here. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. in the Element Well studio. We appreciate Representative Lee Yancey and Senator Josh Harkins for joining us on Middays today and sharing their thoughts about the upcoming general election. That's next Tuesday, right around the old corner, as they say. Sharon and Brandon says, we have the best delegation in Rankin County. No doubt, it is a fine group. All good folks. We appreciate them. Coming in and talking to us. Dave says, no new taxes. Everyone gets what they were getting, and hospitals get help. Oh, I see. He says, leave the road money like it is. If the excess goes over another 40, schools that get that, and anything over that 40 to hospitals. Dave, that's a small amount of money, man. Um, I mean, you're, you're sort of setting the bar at $120 million. That means, I, I'm trying to recall from memory, Rhino, the net proceeds produced by the lottery on on the last, uh, we, we launched operations, of course, in November 19. So we've had three full years and a part year, I believe, of operations. I think the biggest year in terms of net proceeds was the, uh, the COVID years, I call it, the... Uh, first fiscal year, which ended 2021, July or June 30th, 2021. I want to say that the net proceeds in that year were close to $130 million. And then in the subsequent years, around 120. So, uh, sure, Dave, you could come up with something that says, okay, if they wanted to carve out another allocation of that money, anything over the 80 and set some bar for the the uh, the education enhancement fund. Anything over that, but it's just we're talking about petty cash at best. Honestly, really, really small amount of money. I mean, the the lottery is is successful. It's producing a tidy net proceeds, no doubt. Much more than we anticipated. Much more than was projected. Uh, both before the bill passed, after the bill passed, and. Honestly, when we put together the first budget the board did, we um, we were conservative with that budget, and we blew it out of the water, and we just didn't expect it. But you're you're trying to predict something that you have very little history to use to inform that projection. So we, therefore, erred on the part on the side of being conservative, and we were very pleasantly surprised. It's been successful beyond our, our projections, beyond what we expected which is a good thing. So, um, you know, any any money coming from there is certainly welcome. The $80 million to roads and bridges, the $40-plus million uh, to the Education Enhancement Fund. But, 
I, I wouldn't look to the lottery to just solve the problem, for example, with PERS. The, the PERS problem is billions, and the lottery is $100 million. And that's um, it's, it's a situation where math has to be figured into the equation, no pun intended. Everything is great in Mississippi, but sucks in the U.S. This is funny, says Dwight. Well, that's a pretty jaded viewpoint you have there. Uh, Dwight, when you look at what um, state governments are responsible for, you once again have to look first at education simply because that is a big function of state government, is to operate public education, provide public education. And there's no doubt, Dwight, do you disagree with that, that the news is is good on the education front? Are you, are you suggesting it's not? You got... You got recognized by the New York Times, uh, touting, praising Mississippi, the Mississippi miracle, as it is called. So I think you have to be honest about that. The the, uh, the news is very, very good there. Um, from a financial and economic perspective, um, sure, I acknowledge, admit, we got uh, work to do. I've, I've beat the drum for quite some time that we've got to continue to to uh, advance our household income, our per capita income, it is up, but we got more work to do, and the governor will tell you that. Yeah, he'll he'll certainly point out the fact that improvements have been made there, but he's also realistic and and has goals and is not satisfied, wants to continue to to do that. I do believe that is a function of conservative policy. We have uh, also put more money in people's pockets with with a historic. Uh, tax reform, reductions per se, that weren't very popular with with d- Democrats in the state of Mississippi. Uh, so that, I think, is is something that could be viewed as, as quite positive. And then we've seen significant economic investment in the state of Mississippi, and that has created jobs and produces tax revenue and just overall economic activity. That's where it comes from. So... Uh, with respect to federal policy, sure, Dwight, there are a lot of things that are coming out of Washington that are frankly standing in the way of Mississippi making further progress. No doubt about it. And if you look at um, the challenges there and the failures there, in my view, it's not it's not hard to figure out. We have rampant record inflation causing everybody pain. Uh, we've got a terrible energy policy that has boosted the price of energy for everybody. Gas uh, at the pump, gas for your home, natural gas, uh, electricity, all those are up. We have food prices through the roof, all, all a function of poor policy out of Washington. State governments don't have uh, much say over that. They don't have any control. Their their state policies, generally speaking, don't dictate that or factor into that. And then we've got wide open borders. Did you know that Kamala was in Arizona yesterday and didn't bother to go, like, to Tucson, where you've got this... It's become like a huge outpost for where these cartels are just dumping people. Didn't bother to go there or to the border. And we still have the Biden administration telling us that the border's totally closed, completely secure and protected. 
forget about the fact that seven and a half million migrants have crossed over. Now I'm hearing that the cartels are igniting explosions around the border just to try to flex their muscle a bit with uh, federal law enforcement, ICE and so forth. It's just in a, in a state of denial about it. We obviously have problems abroad with the situation in, in Gaza, Afghanistan a year or so ago, Russia, China. We're seeing this axis of power rise up between China. I saw that online maps in China, I know you've seen this, removed Israel from their maps. They don't recognize Israel in China. So well, they have a hard time recognizing sovereign states. That's right. That's <laughs> par for the course with that's, China there. That's uh, out of the communist playbook right there. So um, I think the Biden administration has empowered and, frankly, has funded much of what we're seeing in this, uh, these conflicts, these military conflicts. They got blood on their hands, in my view. And they're struggling within their own party. It's deeply fractured over this. And now the Congress is debating money for Ukraine, money for Israel, money for the border. I did see where Representative Mike Johnson, and they're having a hard time getting consensus on that. Uh, Speaker of the House, I should say now, Mike Johnson, newly minted as Speaker of the House, hails from Shreveport, Louisiana, got installed last week. He's come out and said, hey, we got a package that will give Israel, whom he views as an ally, a friend, and one who is deserving of federal dollars. We'll give him $14 million, but to offset those costs, we're going to cut it out of the IRS budget. Oh, my gosh, the Democrats are just absolutely irate over that. But I thought it was pretty good trade. I doubt it would pass, wouldn't get through the Senate for sure. Because they just absolutely believe that um, we need more IRS agents to shake down Americans, honestly. So they can send more money to the federal government, and they can blow it on programs. That's Literally, that's where they spend it. So, um, you know, I disagree with you, Dwight. I think that things are relative, and when you look at progress here in the state of Mississippi under the governor. I I didn't even touch on the various social matters, but maybe you're in the camp that does support gender mutilation surgery on minors, but the governor signed a bill that prohibits that in the state of Mississippi, also signed a bill that prohibits males from participating in female sports. I think those were all proper moves, and I think in the next session you'll see bills introduced And I hope we'll get across the finish line that will prohibit males from using the female bathrooms and locker rooms. We stopped short of that in the last session. we got to pull that over. Now, Brandon Presley says that uh, he's on the same page with the governor on those social matters, but the people that are dumping millions of dollars into his campaign, they are not, and they're going to expect payback. We're coming right back with the final segment of Hour 2 of Middays in the Element Well Studio. Here comes, here comes the founder. It's so awesome! Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Come on, let's get on with the show! On Super Talk Mississippi. Some people say a man is made out of mud. A poor man's made out of muscle and blood. Muscle and blood and skin and bones. A mind that's weak and a back that's strong. You load 16 tons 
What do you get? Another day older and deeper in debt. St. Peter, don't you call me cause I can't go. I owe my soul to the company store. I was born one morning when the sun didn't shine. I picked up my shovel and I walked to the Welcome mine. back, everyone. It's middays. A number nine cold and the straw boss said, well, the bless The great Tennessee Ernie Ford. Well, let's see here uh, on the C Spire text line. Lynn Waynesboro. I would like to know why Democrats, Lynn from Waynesboro, I would like to know why Democrats hate lemon trees. You want to explain that one, Rhino? <laughs> uh, is that talking about the uh, upgrades and updates and renovations to the governor's mansion that have been in all the Brandon Presley ads? Correct. That's correct. Yeah, I've paid in- very little attention to that. Including planting of lemon trees, I think, was something. So why are we focused on that? What What the heck does that have to do? Unbelievable. Keith in uh, Vaden says, all this economics is important, but when are we going to quit setting the clock backwards and forwards? Well, never. That's <laughs> just that's the reality. I actually don't mind it. I'll be honest with you. I think it makes sense. I don't like it being dark like it is right now. It's 730 in the morning, and I certainly um, enjoy which mean, and but we're about to change, so that's going to fix that. And I certainly enjoy the long days once daylight saving time kicks in. We, uh, some states, such as Florida, Mississippi, have actually passed legislation to make it permanent daylight saving time, but that requires action on the part of the federal government. Don't see it happening. Marco Rubio has one in the federal government called the Sunshine Act. That's what a couple of years ago, I think. So I think he's dropped it multiple times too. Just can't get any traction. But, yeah, if you weren't aware, fall back is this weekend. Yeah, exactly. Coming That's up. the only one I like. I don't really care for spring forward. But you, I don't mind fall back. You don't? I, it doesn't. All extra hour of sleep. Of course. Okay. I don't sleep anyhow, so it doesn't bother me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the older you get, you find it the more difficult. Stephanie and Pope says, I'm a conservative Republican, but Presley has my attention. I'm hoping he doesn't change if he gets elected. So, Stephanie, certainly you don't have to to, uh, reveal this, but are you planning to vote for Mr. Presley? Or uh, you said you're a conservative Republican. I'm curious because how do you square that? Do you think that Mr. Presley is conservative? Well, just a few minutes before that text came in, we got a text from Dave from up north. Okay. He said the issue with Presley isn't what he says he's going to do but what he will do when one, when he's once in office. Democrats running in moderate areas run as centrists, but always govern as far liberal. That happened in Minnesota. Dave from Minnesota, who says he just got back from a week in the Magnolia State. It's a good point, Dave, and, and I, I would submit that's because they get drug into the, the ideology and the philosophy of their party. They, they seem to do it more effectively than Republicans do, in my view. I mean, just look at Joe Biden. Yeah, that's a good point. He was going to be the uniter in chief. Yeah, he's, he's going to bring moderate. us all together. Remember in the the campaign, he's a moderate. Yeah, right. And if, of course, gosh, how many clips have we played here on this program of Senator Joe Biden and President Joe Biden where their statements are completely contradictory? 
I mean, diametrically opposed. Well, we can't play some clips from Senator Joe Biden because then we would get taken off the air. <laughs> he had a propensity for cursing and slinging racial slurs while on the floor of the Senate. That is exactly right. He did have a very foul mouth. And it's it's being revealed that he behaves that way in the quarters of the uh, the White House. You've seen that. Uh, staffers oh, yeah. have said he's really brutal uh, to work with. The other one is... Uh, is it Sheila Jackson Lee who's really a peach to her staff? There's been some recent reports and and video that has been uh, made public where she's just absolutely excoriating, dressing down a staffer. I mean, just telling them they're worthless and all that kind of stuff. How do these people get elected? You do that in the private sector, you go bankrupt. I'm just telling you. You can, and people out there know that. I'm not saying anything they don't already know. You can't behave like that. All of a sudden, you get in Congress, and things change, and you abuse that power. Because your paycheck honestly doesn't rely on it. That's that's the problem with it. And all you got to do is get reelected in two years or six years, depending on which chamber you're in. And that's I think that's a problem, uh, honestly. Uh, but we're out of time in this hour. We got a whole nother hour coming up. Now up is Fox News and Super Talk News. That's because it is the top of the hour. After that, we're coming back with a lot more talk. Stay with us. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. Hour three of Middays. The afternoon portion is back with you in the Element Well studio on this hump day. Are you thinking about or planning for retirement? Do you have a plan? Go to myelementwealth.com or call 601-957-6006 to let Element Wealth help you find your balance between income, growth, and guarantees. The C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. I'm going to be on a remote again this coming Friday, middays, with Gerard and Sports Talk Mississippi. We'll be at the Greater Starkville Partnership Development in downtown Starkville on Friday. You'll hear about all the incredible things happening in Mississippi's college town. And then you can get up-to-the-minute results from across the state during Super Top Mississippi's 2023 election special coverage beginning at 8 p.m. next Tuesday night. You'll hear results from Super Top Mississippi News Team, plus analysis and discussion from guests across the political spectrum. You can hear the election coverage on your local Super Top Mississippi station, the Super Talk app, 
and on Super Talk TV. A lot of stuff going on. Folks have asked us if we're going to be airing the debate tonight, and we will not. That um, is going to be broadcast and carried by another news outlet. And so that's they're the ones that set it up. They're the ones that own it. That's the way that works. But we will certainly be keeping tabs on it, watching it, and we'll be uh, back with you on the programs tomorrow and over the next few days analyzing the results. Now, I'm off tomorrow. I have been invited to, to speak to the Madison Ridgeland Rotary. Looking forward to that. That's tomorrow. And I believe uh, Ashley Edwards will be filling in for us and then back uh, again up in Starkville on a Friday. We appreciate you you joining us um, on the ceasefire text line. Morning, men. Wonder if the hundreds of billions given to Ukraine could help shore up Social Security, extend its life. Any? Well, uh, Rhino, you know, this is something we hear a lot. Uh, people really like to point to the money that's sent to Ukraine anytime we talk about our, our fiscal situation in Washington. But I would just take a guess that the amount of things we've spent that Ukraine money on amounts to, like, gojillion trillion. <laughs> it's a small amount of money, folks. I, I'm not saying I support it, but math does matter. And we have so far sent 110 or so billion dollars, and that's in the form of cash, and um, and also um, in the form of assets that we've sent, military assets, most of which were sitting out and rotten or scheduled for the the uh, the heap, <laughs> the trash heap. So no, the answer to that is no. The problem in Social Security is uh, sitting at about 60 trillion. So you can do the math there, $100 billion don't even come close to covering uh, the petty cash requirement. So it's a teeny tiny fractional infinitesimal amount of money compared to the problem that Social Security has. And that doesn't take into consideration Medicare as well, which also has a funding problem, a solvency problem. So the two combined amount to about $93 trillion, $93 trillion. So it's the same as trying to to take a few million bucks from the lottery to to try to cure PERS's problem. PERS has a $20 billion problem today. And that problem continues to exacerbate unless action is taken. So, sure, you could transfer some money there, but you're not serious about solving the problem. You've made some analogies before. Uh, Rhino about running your household budget, like cut out a Snickers bar when you can't meet your make your mortgage payment. Yeah, right? it's, we're we're upside down by the end of the month, and it's hard to make rent and pay the car note. But we're switching to generic store <laughs> brand Oreos. No more name brand Oreos. Yeah, so uh, it, that's a, I think it's a good analogy because everybody has to deal with that typically in their personal financial situation. So. Yeah, I, I I wish it were that simple and easy, honestly. Uh, just quit funding Ukraine. And by the way, while there's so much focus on that, I've pointed this out before, and I think it's it's worthy to bring up again, the CBO, the actually, pardon me, the GAO, the General Accounting Office. These are the people that essentially do all the finances and reporting for the federal government. They reported a few months ago that improper payments – Improper payments, just payments the federal government made 
uh, mainly to individuals, that just should have never been made, amounts to $270 billion a year. In other words, it's two and a half times what we've sent to Ukraine, which is one time, versus this is every single year. Meaning it's orders of magnitude larger than the money we send to Ukraine. Now that's not a reason not to rein in money we're sending to Ukraine, in my view, is because nobody can seem to tell us what we're getting for it. I'd just like to see a little bit better explanation of why should we send this money? Where's it going? How does it benefit the United States' interest? I'd like to know. And that explanation, I think, has not really been conveyed, in my view. So the the big thing is we have a we have a financial hole in social security we have a financial hole in medicare we have a 2 trillion dollar deficit and i can't tell you the number of people rhino i know you've run across this as well if we just start stop sending money to ukraine we fix that problem no that's 100 billion this is 2 trillion so you need to find 20 times ukraine just to make the math work and, uh, and so that, and it doesn't, obviously. It's the same thing with PERS. You know, we could save a couple million bucks to PERS from various sources. Okay, great. You only got $9,900,000,000 left just to, to get it solvent today. Not talking about the future. Someone said on the ceasefire text line that we should just, uh, if I can find it here, we should convert to define contribution plan as opposed to the defined benefit plan which is what PERS is now and and that certainly has been something that has been discussed um, but that doesn't solve the long-term problem in other words you couldn't convert everybody that's been paying into the program I mean you could but gosh that would be incredibly politically unpopular and we'd probably lose a lot of employees, honestly, as a result. And what you'd have to do is refund them that money that they paid in, since you're not going to get that out, and you'd have to convert that into a defined contribution plan. But then the state still has to figure out a way to fund op- current obligations, because those come from those contributions. Well, since they're losing out on those contributions when they shift over to a defined contribution plan, no money to pay benefits. So that doesn't really work. You could, you could certainly create a new tier and say, hey, everybody that, that comes to work in, in government, here on out, you're in a totally separate plan. You're not in PERS. You're in a new defined contribution plan, except then the money they pay in, that's no longer going to PERS to fund benefits because that's how it works. So that puts more pressure on PERS. It solves a problem 50 years from now. It doesn't solve the current problem and the problem in the, uh, uh, in the subsequent years. So it's a complicated issue. It just is. And it's, it's going to require some serious brain power uh, to address it to achieve solvency in the program. But as people have pointed out, the state of Mississippi is obligated to pay those benefits. You know, they, these people came to work with that understanding, signed contracts to that effect. you got to take care of them. You were talking about the GAO. We got a yeah. question on the ceasefire text line. If we know that much money is going towards wrong payments every year, then why can't it be stopped? It's a great question. It's a fantastic question. Um, and it's because we simply don't have the systems in place. The systems in place. 
um, and the the processes in place. Those cost lots of money, and they take lots of time to implement and then to administer. But from the thirty thousand foot view, it's because even if you even hint at bringing up the need for those systems, the other side, aka the Democrats, are going to cry havoc and let loose the dogs of war because you're trying to take away somebody that needs something. There's, there's, you're absolutely, not only are you spot on on that, I personally believe they intentionally don't want to fix that problem. See, we're thinking like like our texture here. We're, we're all thinking, well, geez, if it's improper payments, we got to stop that. You misunderstand the left's goal here. They want improper payments. You know, you know what I'm saying here. They support that. They support that. They don't want to get in the way of that. Those people are voting for them. And it's all about that. All about that. So there's there's really just little desire to do what's necessary to rein in improper payments. Now, shaking down rich people, the IRS, they're all over that. We're coming right back in the Element Well studio. The talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Let's get on with it. On Super Talk Mississippi. I've been driving all night, my hands wet on the wheel. Welcome back, everyone. It's Middays. We are in the Element Well studio, taking the day off tomorrow to address the Madison Ridgeland Rotary Club. And then on Friday, we're up at Starkville. We'll be up there along with the Sports Talk Mississippi gang for the Greater Starkville Partnership Development in downtown. And then live coverage next Tuesday, the night of the election. Uh, also, I did receive uh, some information from our news director, J.T. Mitchell, that I wanted to pass on. Even though we're not carrying tonight's debate live, you can still read articles and see quotes from the debate at the supertalk.fm and Supertalk News Facebook X sites as well, the Supertalk uh, platforms there. And then sound bites will also be played on newscast on nearly 50 stations across the state. So... It's not that uh, we're not going to be covering this thing and be all over it and sharing everything uh, about it, all sorts of information about it. It's just that we won't be broadcasting it live. But certainly lots of other ways to find out about what happens in the debate, and Supertalk's got you covered there with the uh, various sound bites, articles, uh, tweets, and posts, et cetera. Ought to be good. Uh, on the ceasefire text line, Jim from Pontotot wants to know, do these folks who receive these improper payments have an obligation to pay this money back, or is it just thrown out the window? Well, sure. If you can and, – and a lot of this is, it's, first of all, it's, it's um, analyzed by the GAO. It's, it's done through statistical sampling. So they go out and they just check out, say, Medicaid. They'll pull some, some samples of just payments. Two, it's two providers, right? And then they'll dig into that. 
hey, was this enrollee truly eligible for the service? Perhaps they um, were eligible when they, they signed up, uh, were approved, but then they were no longer eligible, but they didn't get disenrolled, for example, in a timely fashion at the state level. That's one example. Maybe they've investigated and found out, I know you've seen this in, in your career working in pharmacies, lots of gaming of their and hiding of their assets and income to qualify. And the GAO does some research and says, yeah, you really didn't qualify. And then the other aspect of this, we got to be honest about this, Rhino, is that the providers, they have a tendency to overbill and misdiagnose, and, you know, and things because they get paid so little to serve Medicaid patients, they kind of try to make it up, honestly. Now, don't go run around saying Gerard says that the doctors are crooks. I'm not saying that. But I'm just saying there's a certain amount of gaming that happens, scheming that happens on the provider part. Because remember, Medicaid doesn't pay patients. It pays providers. It's not checks going to the people enrolled in the program. It's checks to go to those who provide the services or dispense the drugs when the encounter occurs. That's the way it works. So when you add all that up, the GAO says, and they're probably underestimating it, honestly, but that adds up to $80 billion a year. A year! That's just Medicaid. And then there's improper payments. Man, there's there's about It could be something as simple as, we'll, we'll use my name for an example so I don't take anybody off. Yeah. Say, for example, I have Medicaid, and I have one Medicaid card that says Rhino, spelled R-Y-N-O. And then I have a second Medicaid card that says Rhino, spelled R-H-I-N-O. Unless the state Medicaid catches that... I get double the benefits. There's no restriction, basically. That's right. That's absolutely right. Um, and, there, and there are just tons of examples of these schemes. So my point is, how, how do you address that? Very sophisticated systems, artificial intelligence, it, it too, will be tools that will be used in, in helping to crack down on uh, this sort of fraud and, and abuse and these improper payments. There's no doubt. Te- technology is the only way. You can't hire enough people and rely on them, really, to, to, uh, to administer it with zero errors. You, it's impossible. It's got to be done through technology. And let's be honest, the federal government lags dramatically on their investment in these kinds of technologies. Think about the IRS, the number of bogus tax returns they, they, uh, they receive uh, that file returns using a stolen Social Security number, and they fabricate information, are able to make that work out and pass through the IRS's systems, and the IRS sends them money, tax credits. $12 billion a year, by the way. $12 billion a year that's been going on. So you can do the math. Eight years of that equals Ukraine. That's just that one little chunk. And I guarantee it's more than that. And you know where that comes from? It's foreign actors that go penetrate and compromise these big IT systems, such as Equifax, and they go grab these Social Security numbers, and they start filing tax returns. What's the latest figure on the unemployment fraud? It's, it, I've seen estimates up to $900 billion of unemployment fraud. Almost a trillion dollars because of the COVID crap. 
Unbelievable amount of fraud in some of the other programs. By the way, these programs, let's be honest, they were signed off on, enacted, architected by the Trump administration. The PPP program, all the other various loans and grants. And now the Biden administration says, yeah, we know there's a lot of folks out there that owe money. We're not going after them. Saw that last week in some of the financial journals. They don't have the people, don't have the money, and honestly, don't have any interest. You know why? Because they got to vote. Well, I'll show Joe Biden he's making me pay that money back. I'm not voting for him. That happens, unfortunately, even though you owe it legitimately. That absolutely happens. And so I do think there's a bit of, we're just looking the other way in the Medicaid program. I've always thought that. Because if they start cracking down on some of these providers, they say, okay, I'm not taking Medicaid anymore. Which it's already scarce. It's already a problem to get providers to take Medicaid. Uh, especially, not not in the hospital setting, because we've talked about that. They go to the ER, and Imtala says you got to take care of them. But in, clinical, in a clinical environment, you're hard, it's hard to find one, honestly, that takes Medicaid. And you make it too painful for them, they just say, we ain't taking any more. Now, there's always been some discussion. This, this would, in fact, be serious socialism, that the federal government says, well, you can't get a license to practice medicine if you don't take it. California came this far from doing that. If you don't take the CalPERS, their Medicaid program as, as a provider, um, and or you don't take the coverage from the Obamacare exchanges sold in the marketplaces, which is actually private coverage, but all physicians, all providers, I should say, they don't take all insurance. They're not bound to. They're not obligated to legally. But California made it wanted to make it a condition of licensing. You want to practice medicine in California? You're taking all the coverage sold on the exchanges. You're taking Medicaid. You're taking Medicare, whether you want to or not. You want to be a doctor in California. That, in my view, is blatant socialism. So, yes, it's it's a problem. Failed to tell you, I was actually talking about the Middle Eastern countries. <laughs> I'm sorry. We should at least trade it for oil applying to Middle Eastern countries. I see what you're saying. Uh, yeah, heck, who knows, though? Jim from Pontotoc sent that in. Heck, Joe Biden's down there begging Venezuela to produce oil. It, it's just terrible policy across the, bo- uh, the board, in my view. And um, I, I can't wait to make a change. At that level, I think it's been detrimental to the country, and it, and it starts with energy policy and, and, and immigration policy because among those 32 orders he signed on the first day he took office, most of them dealt with that. And unfortunately, it was about personalities. It didn't matter that, that Trump's immigration policy, which are just common sense, actually worked, the return to Mexico policy, uh, as an example and cracking down on cartels in other countries that these immigrants are coming from or flowing through, and so uh, in empowering ICE and immigration officials to do their job. Yeah, that was Trump's deal. But immediately when Joe Biden took office, even though that was working, he rescinded all that because it happened under Trump. I mean, he literally put personality in front of, ahead of, the best interest of the people of this country. He put personality above it. They, their disdain for Trump was so deep, they reversed 
many of his policies that were working, that were effective. And they won't acknowledge that today. My greatest fear, and I'm sure other folks out there share this, is that of all these people that have crossed over the border, some estimate as many as 8 million, 8 million since that's two and a half Mississippis, right, Uh, since uh, Biden has been elected, is that there's some bad actors in there that are going to wield some sort of brutal carnage on this country. And he's going to have blood on his hands. Keep this in mind. Only 19 people were involved in 9-11. 19. Eight million have crossed over. You don't think there's eight, 19 that could conceive of the same sort of dastardly plot? Coming right back. Stay with us. Okay, is everybody ready? I'm ready. Ready here. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone. It's the great REO Speedwagon. Kevin Cronin on vocals. Gary Richrath on the lead guitar. The late Gary Richrath. Alan Gratzer, he formed the band, by the way. He's the drummer. Neil Doughty, he's on the keyboards. And Bruce Hall on the bass. And where should they be? In the dang Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Where are you, Senator Jeremy England? <laughs> he asked me that question down there in the Senate. When I was uh, uh, undergoing my approval from the Senate Finance Committee for the Lottery Board, <laughs> Mr. Gibbard, do you think REO Speedwagon ought to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? You're dang right they should. <laughs> Very relevant to the discussion there. And that's because old Senator Hob Bryan was raising hell. <laughs> and that's he's been fine. known to do that from time to time. <laughs> you think he's a bit of a showman? Just a little bit. <laughs> uh, that was funny. That really was good. Jay from the rest says, you said $93 trillion. That's the combined unfunded liabilities associated with Social Security and Medicare. If it goes up another $7 trillion, what is that next figure? I think it's quadrillion for some reason. Is the, is well, if the, it goes up another seven, it's $100 trillion. Okay, that's right. Just be $100 trillion. But, but if it you have $1,000 trillion, trillion, that's a quadrillion. That's a quadrillion, right. You, yeah, we got a ways to go to get to quadrillion, but that's right. Just a, it's just a mere hundred trillion at that point. Yeah, you have quadrillion, then quintillion, then sextillion, there then septillion, then octillion, then nonillion, <laughs> then decillion. <laughs> How about the old Forrest Gump gozillion? <laughs> Seeing the writing on the wall on the ceasefire text line with PERS 10 years ago was good enough motivation to enter the private sector. You know, I I don't think that's – I think it's a bit overreacting. I believe that the legislature and the PERS board are going to come together to devise a solution to this deal. But 
look, I do believe it's going to cost money. There's no doubt about it. I think it's going to cost money. And it's, a, it's something that the legislature is going to have to consider when it considers further tax cuts. No doubt about it. Uh, if we know that much money, oh, yeah, the question about why can't we stop these improper payments, and I went through the explanation of that. I understand what you're saying. It just irritates me. Well, it irritates me, too. But I would just encourage people. I know there's always this focus on all this money we're sending to Ukraine, 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 as if it's just, it is, as Rhino says, is the panacea. Hey, we just didn't send $100 billion to Ukraine. The $2 trillion deficit would go away. Economic bliss would, would break out. It's just not true. It's, it's a situation where we have to be honest and serious about, about the math. Uh, again, and somebody on the ceasefire text line sent us a, a fairly, long, um, fairly long discussion of why I think, why they think, I should say, that sending money to Ukraine um, is what they called a no-brainer. I'm, I'm looking for it. It was a rather long discussion about it kind of scroll by, but um, it's the same talking points I think we've heard a lot. Yeah, it says you were looking for someone to explain the pro-Ukraine funding position. Here's yeah. my take. They said, it's simple. We can fund the Ukrainians for less than 4% of our annual DOD budget, help stop Putin's invasion, permanently cripple one of our major global adversaries, and deter China from making a move on Taiwan without a single American boot on the ground test out new new technologies in a live-action battleground, or we can let Putin win and embolden China, have him march into NATO territory, then we will have to send troops because we're under treaty. Secondly, from a purely moral perspective, Putin invaded a sovereign nation, murdered hundreds of thousands of civilians, and kidnapped anywhere between 20,000 to 100,000 children, depending on whose numbers you believe. As the saying goes, quote, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing, end quote. In my opinion, it's a no-brainer. Yeah, so I, I guess my response would be to that is the federal government, the people sending the money, have provided, in my view, no evidence that that the money we're sending is going to achieve these objectives. They haven't said, here's how we're going to get that. That's my concern. And so at this point, it just looks like it's a black hole. More, 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 more. Every other day, it seems like Zelensky's over here pleading for more money. And while I understand, hey, if this means that we spend $100 billion and Russia goes away and, and China is somewhat defanged and, and we interfere with this axis of evil that I think now includes Iran, honestly, is part of that, because I do think Russia's in cahoots with them. And you see what's happening with Hamas and Gaza, which I think Hamas is a proxy for Iran, honestly. It, so the question I have is, how do we know? Because nobody seems to be able to account for what is happening with this money. And it seems like that, that the status of the conflict is just fuzzy. Where, where does it stand? You hear One day you hear, oh, my gosh, Russia made tremendous progress, blew something up. And the next day you hear it from Ukraine. I, people just don't know, and I think they deserve to know. And I'm old enough to remember Vietnam. We not only... Spent a lot of money on that. We lost lots of lives. And again, I say 50,000, as I recall. Isn't that right? I want to say from the Vietnam conflict. And uh, so 
what? How does it serve our interest? We had a hard time understanding that about Vietnam, and this just looks eerily similar to me. Is that was that right? Fifty-eight thousand two hundred and twenty U.S. personnel were fatalities in the Vietnam War. All listed on the wall. Finally, they got a memorial, and there were a lot of people in this country, honestly, that did not want them to be memorialized because it was a war that I guess technically you could say we didn't win. A lot of people opposed the war, but these kids were just asked to do a job by their country. They went over and did it. My brother was one of them. He didn't he didn't die from the war, but he was in extremely dangerous situations many, many, many times. Unfortunately, he survived, unfortunately, only to lose his life a few years after he was honorably discharged. But the 58,000, I believe, their names are listed on the wall in Washington. That came decades after the war. But the, but the point I'm trying to make is, could anybody explain what are we getting here? We're putting back communist aggression. What does that mean exactly? And how do we benefit from that? You know, is it is it the charter of this country to try to spread our system of government, our way of life, and impose that around the world? I'd like to see every nation be similar to us in that regard. Uh, the only thing that scares me about that is we got idiots over here trying to make us be more like them. While, the, while if they started to try to be more like us from a foundational perspective, we may not be the dominant nation. We're already looking at, uh, at, at, at some chinks in the armor there because we got weak leadership, misguided policy. So, again, I, I, I'm with you. If it means spend $100 billion and and Putin's gone, and all these other benefits that you talk about actually accrue to this country, I'm with it. Why can't the president go before the nation and articulate that and provide some evidence that that's actually occurring? That's how you get public support. Now, polls do show that most Americans do support aid to Israel. Polls bear that out. The atrocities there uh, are just incredible. And, of course, Israel is considered our, one of our most trusted, if not our most trusted allies. Certainly in that region, they're our most, and the only democracy in that region. And there, you could uh, certainly connect the dots that the fall of Israel, like China, we talked about that earlier, is already now publishing online maps of the region that do not reflect Israel as a nation. No borders, no Israel. Which kind of tells you where the CCP is. Which makes me believe that they're working with Iran. And I have no fear. Gavin Newsom made a trip to China. <laughs> How about him playing basketball? Little hoops. Folks, you're, you're not allowed this? to tackle at basketball, Gavin. <laughs> you know, I'd have been okay if he just said, hey... Throw me the ball. I'm going to shoot a couple here from three-point distance to these nine- and ten-year-olds, whatever they were, on the court. Looked like about 40 of them or so. That would have been cool. But no, he had to start dribbling and trying to spin and dribble behind his back only to lose his balance (laughs) and crash onto a youngster on the concrete. I, I did notice he did a pretty good job of turning his body, positioning his body, so that they mostly landed on him, and he took the fall on the concrete. But what do you do that for? (laughs) 
Oh my gosh. Why is he in China to start with? What's the, why would a, I mean, is there, is there a business reason associated with his visit to communist China? Who knows with that guy, honestly? My response to the Vietnam analogy would be, if you could go back in time and just fund the South Vietnamese instead of sending our troops, wouldn't you? I don't know. Don't have enough information. Coming right back in the final segment of Midday. Stay with us. It's so awesome! Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Come on, let's get on with the show! On Super Talk Mississippi. Well, studio, it's the final segment. Um, I'm going to let Rhino give you some uh, number context here (laughs) in the context of time, I should say, in a minute. But the Fed, we're waiting for their interest rate decision. They've been meeting today. I failed to mention that earlier. Markets have been uh, up as much as 200 points today, but have trended uh, down from that. So we're off the highs of the day. But right now, we're all waiting for the interest rate decision. That means Jay Powell's going to go to the mic, and he'll talk for about an hour and stuff nobody understands. And I'll be tuned in and uh, searching for those words like investors are that gives them some idea. Let me tell you what he's going to say about 14 different ways. We're just looking at the data to see what to do. That's what he's going to say. Won't be anything definitive. All right, so give him the expression of the, the, the concept of big numbers uh, in in uh, relation to time. Yeah, it was Tom from Tupelo on the ceasefire text line that wanted me to go back over this because I've done it a couple times on the air. And it's it's easy to understand why when you start adding words after the number, you just kind of glaze over. Like if you millions, billions, trillions, when you hear it all the time, it's really hard to contextualize that. So if you look at it in seconds, everybody can count one Mississippi, two Mississippi, three Mississippi. Like you, you know what a second is. So if you have a million seconds, like if you counted from zero to a million every second, or counted one up every second. That's 12 days. If you jump up to billions, if you counted one Mississippi, two Mississippi, three Mississippi, up to a billion, it would take you 31 years. <laughs> so the difference from million at 12 days to billion 31 years gets dwarfed when you look at trillions. That's true. Because if you counted every second from zero to a trillion... That is 31,688 years. The, um, it, it's, the, the numbers get so big, you just start glossing over them, honestly. And, and I, so I appreciate that. But it, it's, I think it's important for us to just stay grounded and deal with the facts. I, I know there are widespread objections to sending money to Ukraine. Now, we've had a couple of people on the C Spire text line send us texts where they have rationalized funding for Ukraine. And I I don't dispute them. I'm simply saying that our government 
isn't making that clear. No more than they made clear what our objectives and interests are in Vietnam. I mean, I know what they said, but it, it wasn't believable. Let's put it that way. If it had been believable, we wouldn't have had such opposition to it, just like we do now, opposition to more money uh, going to Ukraine. And there are reasonable arguments on both sides. It's like a car salesman slapping the top of the sedan going, it's got four wheels. (laughs) And? Is there anything else in that pitch? Uh, I I had a friend that uh, was in the car business, and he had an old, crusty, long-time car salesman that he worked with. And he said one day he was trying to sell a used car to somebody uh, on the lot there. He said, look at that tailpipe. You think that thing burned ice cream? <laughs> ice cream. <laughs> oh, Timmy McGee says, why were these idiots taking it out on our soldiers fighting the Vietnam War? If you didn't sign up, most of them were drafted dummies. I, I agree with you, Tim. It, um, it, it, it saddened me to see how because many of them... it became the popular thing. You're so right. And now we're seeing this crap with respect to this anti-Israel, pro-Hamas sentiment that's sweeping the country, especially on college campuses, which were even back then the epicenter for protesting the Vietnam War. No doubt about it. And and Tim is right, uh, like my brother. I mean, you're just called to go do a job. He volunteered, Tim, my brother did, because he knew he was going to get drafted. And he volunteered so he go to the Air Force. Because you get drafted, you're likely to be... You're going uh, wherever they put you. Yeah. And it's usually going to be in the infantry right on the front lines. And so... He was fortunate and is a really, really smart guy, and, and he passed the test to enter the Strategic Air Command. It's much like the Green Beret, kind of the equivalent in the Air Force, where 100 people test, three people make it. And he did, uh, but he still had some, some pretty dangerous assignments as part of that work. Um, but I hear you, Tim. I totally agree. I do agree that the money and military materials should be subject to audit oversight. Any future funding should definitely include that aspect. Hopefully that can be a compromise that our Congress can reach. Well, they're talking about that. That's on the ceasefire tax line. But, but again, I'm looking at the president. Why can't the president come out and make the case so that most people agree and say, okay, Mr. President, that makes sense. Of course, he's not very good at that sort of stuff. He's He's way better at just bashing uh, the productive citizens of the country. You know, the ones that create the jobs and take the risk and pay the taxes. And, uh, of course, not talking anything about the border and bashing Donald Trump. He kind of he earns his keep doing that. Biden can't articulate C-spot run. Our country has no business in the Ukraine business. These are all on the C-spot tax line. What reason does our government give for Russia invading Ukraine? So you see there's just... Lots of controversy, lots of conflicting views on that, no doubt about it. Well, we are out of here today, folks. We thank you so much for joining us. Ash Edwards in tomorrow. I'm back with you from Starkville on Friday. Until then, stay safe, and God bless everyone. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.